All right, everyone. Welcome back in to Goodwill Podcasting. Alongside me always is Dan, and we got a very special guest today, Jeremiah. Hey, what's up? Nice to meet. You. How we doing, boys? Doing great. Doing good. Doing good. It's a bit um, it's a long weekend, but I'm glad I'm here. Um, talking movies with you guys. Good time. Yeah, dude. Congrats on taking home silver in the uh, track event. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been doing track and field for like a little while now. I just started in college. Um, in high school, I played football and I wrestled. I never did track in college. I mean, in high school, but I just started in college. It's been fun so far. Um, yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. What events do you do, Jeremiah? Pretty, pretty much everything. Um, I'm a multi, so um, I do the heptathlon and the decathlon, which is seven events indoor and ten events outdoor. It's like everything from like sprints to jumps to um, throwing. Yeah. Everything. That's all pretty much. a lot of work. It, 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 it is a lot of work, but it's fun, though. It's fun. It's fun. It keeps you disciplined, too. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this week, we're tackling the wide world of Harry Potter. I think we're just going to stick to the main eight films. We're not going to do Fantastic Beasts. Yep. I will say before we kick off all that, though, I think every single Harry Potter movie is better than any of the Fantastic Beasts movie. I agree. I think I've even though I've only seen um, the first Fantastic Beast film, uh, I remember watching it in theaters. I just I just wasn't a just wasn't a fan. It didn't have that same that same charm, that same magic that the other eight films have. I don't know. But you can feel when something's being made to like. I think cash grab is a harsh term, but like that's kind of what it was. They just wanted to keep it rolling and get something new out there. But like when the story isn't as strong. Um, you know, it just doesn't have that same feel. But I mean, I like Eddie Redmayne, but um, mm. outside of him, it's just they're not very good. Like, I don't know, just not the same feel. Yeah, I mean, no pun intended, but it's just like kind of hard to capture that same magic that other other films like had. Like, um, yeah, like like just those 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 three main um those three main characters, Hermione, Harry, and um and Ron. It was that 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 core group is just something that was so fun to to follow and just to see them evolve over time and just grow up and just to see their journey. Like that's just something that you can't capture. Um, especially in that world. I feel like it's special. Do you animate the books? Mm-hmm. I did not. I've read up to, up to, f- up to six. I, I don't think I ever read the, the last book, but see, I read, I read one through four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're so solid. Um, when I was younger, I literally used to just read, all I would do basically was read and watch movies and stuff. Um, so I think I read them all the way through twice. Uh, obviously a long time ago, but they're, they're fun reads. I feel like it just made there be like so much anticipation. Like I remember like, I feel like there almost isn't like anticipation for movies. I feel like used to be so much more intense, like with like Lord of the Rings and like Harry Potter and just like some other standalones here and there. And even like Marvel as it was coming up, like I feel like there used to be so much, like mutual anticipation and now like there is but it's just not it feels like it's not the same level that it used to be um which i'm not at all it's not it's not i mean you could say it's part partly filmmaking but also i think covid ruined a lot of that yeah i mean it just got people out of the the mindset and like the like i mean not habit but like going to the movies regularly i think changed for a lot of people um also, I mean, everything is just more expensive now, like, especially for families, like going to the movies is not like, it's not cheap at all. Um, and it's, that's not going to get any better soon, probably. So 
Well, yeah, dude. And I think the worst culprit for it is probably DC because I mean, there used to be some hype around it, but we've just got bad movie after bad movie. And now people know you can watch it in two months on HBO. Like Blue Beetle is already on HBO. I still haven't seen that actually. Neither have I. I heard, I heard like, um, like, like pretty solid things about it, but they're like, I know they're, they're like rebooting the whole entire, um, like, yeah, so it's like, why are you going to rush to go see that when you feel like the story doesn't really matter? Like, yeah. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. And it's like, it feels weird because, you know, like, they're rebooting it all, but then, like, there's Shazam 2 that brings back Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Is it, yeah. Isn't James Gunn, like, the, the head of the, um, of the DC yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, which should hopefully help. It, yeah. If, if it's in his hands, I, I mean, I can see it going in a positive direction with all the stuff he's done with Guardians. Um, I can see it possibly going in a better direction than it has been in the past. Um, I mean, only time will tell, but yeah. Yeah. I think the difficult thing will be like kind of creating his own feel for DC. Like I think if he if people just feel like he's just recreating the same tone and everything that he had with Marvel, like I feel like that'll feel kind of cheap. Like, I think yeah. people are going to want something different and like he's a talented director, so I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll be all right. But if he just brings the same kind of like sticks and stuff i don't think that's really gonna fly for that long yeah like we said time will tell i am happy that he said he's not really gonna do a lot of origin stories because it's not needed so many times yeah Yeah. with superman and batman like especially those two like we've seen that over and over and over again Um, yeah i feel like even people who have never seen it know batman's backstory Oh, for sure. I mean, Batman's like one of the most um, iconic characters, like in all of fiction. Um, out, like mm-hmm. even outside of movies, like comic books, like er- everything, really. Um, so many. He's probably movies. in the same tier as Darth Vader. Yeah, for for sure. I think Superman as well. Um, I mean, Superman was like one of the first like superheroes um, known to the public. So like he he as well as Batman. Like I mean, I think I feel like the three biggest superheroes in like. Ever is like probably Batman, Spider Man, and Superman. Those are probably the three biggest ones that are universally known to the people in like all of fiction. So, um, yeah, I might put Hulk in that category too. Hulk, mm. well, I think Hulk was bigger back in the day. Like, I feel like he had a, like in my parents' generation and stuff. I feel like like Luke with Lou Ferrigno on TV and all. Like, there was a lot of good iterations back in the day. But then I feel like. I don't know, I feel like the two solo movies kind of, like, fell flat and kind of, like, not ruined the character, but, like, tainted it for, like, newer generations. And I feel like the great thing about, like, Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman is, like, every generation kind of has their own character. Like, they, it's always, like, changing and evolving. We're always getting something new that's, like, generally, like, at least decent quality. Like, even Andrew Garfield, the movies aren't great, but he's a great actor and, like, brought something to the character, so... Um, I feel like that's what kind of elevates them is like the generational quality and like something new happening with the character. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, like, like you were talking about Andrew Garfield, like in terms of like, like my generation Spider-Man, like Andrew Garfield would be my generation Spider-Man because I was like, um, I want to say like maybe fifth grade, sixth grade when that movie came out. Um, so, but like, but I grew up with like Tobey Maguire as like my favorite Spider-Man. So like, like there's like, like multiple iterations of Spider-Man that I personally grew up with. So there's like, 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 like you were saying, like there's different Spider-Mans, different characters for each, each different generation that people can connect to. So yeah. that's really cool. 
Yeah, mine, mine is Toby. Like, mm-hmm. that was my generation. I mean, Toby's still personally my favorite um, Spider-Man. Me too. Yeah. He so, I mean, Tom is the best. It's really going to be hard to beat it just because he fits the nerdiness of it and the child part of it. But Toby is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard sure. to look at Toby and not see like a grown dude, but like, <laughs> yeah, you, got, I mean, you just gotta work around that. But he is good at playing the character. But I'm just like, that's like a 30 year old man. Like, that's yeah. well, dude, it was that Spider Man and then X Men that kind of you know skyrocketed comic book movies, though. Yeah, I yeah. Actually, actually, actually just wrote a paper like on um, on like, like the rise of like superhero movies because I take um, I'm taking a uh, a book to to movie adaptation class, and we had to write a, a paper on on like failed adaptations. And I was talking about the 2003 Daredevil film with Ben Affleck. Um, so I was just like talking about like like the rise of superhero films and like why that movie was made and whatever, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting to see like like how like in the early 2000s it was like Spider Man and X Men and Blade and all those movies like they kind of like and even the Hulk movie um like all kind of got their like their star. I know there was like like Batman 1989, like all the other Batman films of the 90s and the Christmas. They were like different though, like yeah. different feel. Like it was, it was very different in tone. But like the early, the early, those early 2000s movies were like um kind of like set not not a blueprint, but like um like a footing for the superhero genre of the, like for, for the superhero genre that we see today. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, especially with like, I mean, the X Men movies, especially with like all the characters and like a few different storylines going on, and then carrying that through that trilogy like pretty solid trilogy I, I like those movies a lot um and then i think i guess in like it's interesting to think about like all those movies and then we get to like 2008 and you get the dark knight and i feel like that and an iron man but i feel like the dark knight was kind of the moment where like studios and everything they were like okay like we need to this is like this is the future not the future but like these these movies can be insanely profitable and like be huge cultural moments, and I feel like yeah. that's kind of where it like changed. But all those movies were like way before, and really, like you said, like they kind of started worming in people's mind, like the characters and like mm. how much fun it was, and like definitely set it up. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right, we ready to dive into some Harry Potter? Yeah, let's do it. Yep. All right, so Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, depending where you live in the world. This this is one of the better origin stories, I think, out of like all of cinema. Why do you say that? Just it's a great adaptation, introduces you to the world, and but like manages to give you a lot of information, but not all thrown in your face at once. You know. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like it's great at, at, at world building for sure. Um just introducing um like like Hogwarts and like the whole like like um the the lore and the and, and the rules of, of this fantasy world, it all introduces it very well and very um very very directly but in a playful way because like this movie is made for, for children in a way, like it was made for uh, for younger people and it does it in a very good way but also it's it's a very accessible film for people of all ages i feel like it does a really good job of really building that that wizardry world yeah one thing i like about it too is i think with anything like when you're adapting an existing ip like i think there's a fine line between 
like catering to the fans of what exists, like the existing fan base, and then also like being welcoming and like inviting to new fans. And I think throughout the series, it does a good job. Like if I had never, like if you've never read the books, you can go watch these movies. You're not going to be like, what's going on? It's not like treating you like an outsider because you don't have that background knowledge, but it like builds stuff up slowly and effectively. And like, there are some like, I feel like it does use kind of like ex- little exposition in different ways. A lot of times, like through characters like Hermione, like she'll start talking about something and like tell you what it is or like how it works. But like, it doesn't feel like that weird or out of place because that's like, especially for her character, it's kind of like that's who she is. So it like works. Yeah, she's um, a type of, like spell information onto people. So it kind of works for her character. Exactly. It doesn't feel like unnatural. So I like how it like, you don't have to be like a huge super fan to like start this and enjoy the story for what it is. So, well, yeah, and I think the pacing of this movie is fantastic too. Like, I mean, the beginning scene, like where they're dropping Harry off, you know, and Dumbledore takes all the lights, like that doesn't feel like it drags on at all. There's no part of this movie that really does feel like it drags or that it go or like that it's too short, you know. And the first two are long as hell. Like, I forgot. Yeah. Like, like, I think it's two and a half hours, and then the Chamber of Secrets is like two forty-five or three hours. I think. Like, I could be wrong, but yeah, yeah the second one's the longest in the whole um, series. I think. Yeah, yeah I, cha- I, w- I want to say it's three. Is it? cha- Chamber of Secrets is an hour and six or er, one hundred and sixty-one minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, that two hours forty minutes. Like, yeah, it's definitely long, and like, again, I don't like watching them. I don't feel like it's too long. I feel like they probably could have. Cut it, de- cut both of the first two down a bit, but like again, watching it, I'm not like, man, this is dragging out because you are like invested in the story and the characters, and like you are kind of learning a lot about the world, like we talked about. So I, I like that they're longer, and there's a lot to set up, so you don't want to like shortchange that. Well, yeah, and that goes right into what we're saying too about pacing is you know, it doesn't feel two and a half hours. Like yeah. I had watched it already by the time you had texted me, it was like, did you realize it was two and a half hours? And I didn't, yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, do you guys have any like favorite moments in the first one? I think there's a lot of good, like strong, fun moments. But anything stand out? I think one of my one of my personal favorites is is the the Sorting Hat bit where he's like, "Not Slytherin, not Slytherin." Like that 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 part always stands out of my mind. Also, the part um, where he's like learning to 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 fly playing Quidditch is also really fun. There's like a lot of like like fun fun playful things like that that really stand out of my mind when I think about the first film. First one for me, probably one of my favorite scenes. I got two. Is one is the wand scene where he's you know figuring out which I think it's a great introduction too to like kind of show that even though everyone kind of has magic in this world, it is very individual still. And then two, the chess scene at the very end. Yeah, it's 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 strong. Um, yeah, I I played chess like since I was like a little kid. Um, I played like competitively a little bit, right. and yeah, well, that's fun. Um, so like yeah, that scene always like was so cool to me. Uh, I think with the first movie, it's like it's very a lot of it's very like playful and like magical and like fun. But then like tone wise, there are some like you see that like seriousness, and there are some moments that are like. For a kid, probably kind of scary. Like I remember uh one that stands out to me is like 
when they get that detention and they go in the Forbidden Forest, which, like, that was dumb as hell, but that's just how they get detention. They literally could have died. Um, but, and then, like, Voldemort or Quirrell's there, whatever, like, drinking the unicorn blood. Like, that's, like, a pretty, like, intense scene, especially for kids. Um, and I think the tone kind of, like, flips back and forth between, like, haha, like, funny, goofy, and then, like, stuff like that. So, um, it doesn't feel like, you know... I'm not saying it as a negative, but it's like interesting to see because you get kind of shades of like what's coming later on. Do you do you feel like the the, the tone is balanced well? Uh, I think I think in the first two or three, it like teeters on not being balanced that well, um, just because like sometimes it it's almost jarring, um, and a lot of times there's literally like back to back moments of like they're like laughing and giggling about something and then like something serious is happening. It's just like, but again, like a lot of times I think if you're watching this, like, and you're a kid, you're not really going to care about that. Um, but I think like watching it now, it's a little like, huh? And also I think in the first two movies, there's some like really weird editing. Like it just kind of cuts right. Almost randomly a lot. Um, and I feel like that gets better as it goes, but um, I was also reading something about how they had to do a lot of weird stuff with editing because when the three of them were together, they like could not keep a straight face. Like they couldn't keep it together. So they couldn't even shoot a lot of scenes with like all three of them there. So there's a lot of like one person talking at a time or like weird editing and cutting to like work around that. But like that was a big problem when they were young, which is like understandable. I mean, they're so small on the first one. Like, it's crazy to see like how like um how young they were and how they just like they just grew over those films and how they just like became like you, you literally see them go from kids to being adults. It's really cool to see them grow like that. Yeah, that's kind of rare that you get to see that over like a series. Like I mean, you literally watch like you're watching the character grow up, but the actor too, and that they obviously all get so much better. Like there's some there's some rough acting in the first couple, but like again, what do you expect? Um, but yeah, it's cool to see, and they're all. I mean. Uh, I would say more so Radcliffe and Watson, but they're all like good actors um, now. They've all done so much interesting stuff, so it's cool to see them grow up. Yeah, I also really like the scene at the end too, kind of switching back to that, and also along with the tone that you're talking about is when he is, you know, there and Voldemort kind of reveals himself on the back of Quirrell's head. Like, we don't totally understand why, um, you know, Harry can kind of burn him. And, like, that's kind of how he makes him disappear at the end. Or, I guess, kill him. <laughs> um, but that's one of my favorite things about the Harry Potter franchise. Is if you do watch it in order, they go back and explain that. And I think it's number four as to why. Because, you know, before Voldemort did come back, Harry or he couldn't touch Harry without something like that happening. So I think the continuity of these films makes it fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they set up Voldemort really well in, like, little ways. And even, like, we were talking about the the wand scene. He's talking about, like, Ollivander is talking about how, like, there's another, like, twin wand. And basically it was Voldemort. And, like, that, even that kind of stuff, like, is just cool and kind of, like, builds up this mystique around his character. Um until he becomes like what he is at the end, so he's he's a great villain. Yeah, but for all the Harry Potter fans that say that Voldemort is on the same level as Darth Vader, you're wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a whole debate in and of itself. Voldemort couldn't even take over a high school. <laughs> Vader ran the galaxy. Tried a lot of times. Very good. Oh. But yeah, so I think overall I gave this movie an. Where's it at? I gave this one an 8.0 out of 10. I think that's fair. I feel like I would have it at like maybe like three and a half, four stars out of five. Like it's it's good. Um, but like it, the seat, I mean, the seat you got is like Disney Channel level. Um, I feel like that's pretty distracting. Uh, and obviously that gets a lot better. But between that and just like some of the editing and acting and stuff, like it's not amazing, but it's still like it's so fun and you know everything builds off it so i do like it a lot yeah i have mine at um at, at, at four or five stars um like i said before like i just love like those those like little moments of like of like playfulness and just seeing them as like because personally like, I, I love like coming of age films and like and this is like a pretty this is, this, is a, this is a coming of age story like you're seeing them like go to school for the first time and become friends for the first time and you're just seeing them go through these things that will ultimately set them to be up set, set, set them up to be the wizards that they will become when they're older um and there's so many things that i love about this movie um like the john williams score is so iconic it's it's, it's beautiful it's amazing um yeah there's a lot of great things to love about this first film yeah without the music like this whole series is like at a lower level like it's it's yeah. They nailed it. Um, obviously, Williams always does, but it just makes it that much better. All right, who do you guys like better, John Williams or Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer for me, all day, personally. I, I think I would go Zimmer as well, because um, I think he's just been involved in stronger movies and in movies that like, like stronger movies. If you laid it all out. Like this, this is something I think I would like to lay out and look at on paper. But my gut tells me yes. But you could be right. I mean, like Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter. That's a pretty strong resume. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Hans Zimmer has Interstellar, Inception, um, Dune. Interstellar's like mid. Interstellar. Wow. Wait, you talking about the score or the film as a whole? The film as a whole. Okay, I mean... I can, the music, I can, though, is brilliant. Like, No, yeah, no. I'm not discrediting Hans Zimmer at all. I have him in my two spot. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he's great. I mean, personally, I mean, I feel like he, he has he has a a wider range of work. His, his work is, is, is more varied. Um, I feel like he works in, like, a lot more different projects than John Williams does. I mean, John Williams, you can make an argument that he has, like, more iconic works, um, but in terms of quality, I just feel like Hans Zimmer has a higher quality of work. I don't know. Now, I I can see Zimmer taking over, like John Williams, by the end of his career. Also, like very like they they each have kind of their own like lane that they're in. Like John Williams, I think of like light, fun, yeah, like. It's like very, very like um, it's, it's like it's like it's like grand and like um, I don't know, like optimistic is that the word? To like, it's like very, very grand. yeah. Like, um, but, yeah, but I, I forgot. John Williams did he did Schindler's List, 
um, which oh, yeah. is an outlier. And he did Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Um, but then when you look at stuff like like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Harry Potter, E.T., Indiana Jones, like there's a lot of that more like lightness. Um, Home Alone, Home Alone too. Yeah, Home Alone as well. Yeah, and also like Hook, another very kind of lighthearted film. Yeah, and then with Zimmer, like Dunkirk, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Gladiator. Um, I forgot he did Gladiator. Yeah, Dark like Glad- yeah, Dark Knight, Inception. Um, Thin red line. A lot Maybe of work with Nolan. What'd you say, Jeremiah? A lot of work with Nolan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think, I mean, when you look at it like that, you can really respect and appreciate both of them. I think it's like very tough to compare. Yeah. Um, they're both great. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, Zimmer and Nolan are the Williams and Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's funny because they're like, those are the directors they worked with the most. So. All right, well, let's move on to uh, number two. I'm blanking on the name. Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> what are your feelings, Connor? I actually think I like this one better than the first one. Uh, Why? I think because we didn't have to get the origin story, you know, like the first one. So this one kind of jumped into things a little quicker. Um, and then like the fast-paced beginning, you know, like they have to you know, find a different way to get to Hogwarts since through the flying car and everything else. We see and this one kind of introduces us like we could assume, you know, no magic outside of school, but this one kind of like shows the severity of using magic outside of school. Yeah. So I like all of that. Fun fact though, this was this is I think my first memory of seeing a movie in theaters and I had to leave early. My dad had to walk me out because I was scared of the spider scene. I don't mess with spiders either, so I, I, I feel that. Um, yeah, this movie is fun. I feel like it's it, like we talked about it, it's so long. Like I don't think that's really necessary. Um, but it is fun, and like you get to meet you get to meet Dobby, um, and I feel like it really dives into like Hogwarts itself, and like kind of like shows you some more of the history and like the school itself and all of kind of like the like mysticism around the school. Um, so like, I like that aspect, but it, it is so it's too long. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like it's, um, it's, 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 it's really good at like introducing like characters that you see down the line, like, like Dobby and, um, um, ah, blanking on the learning Myrtle. Yeah. Like, like, like a lot of people. And um, too. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, it's it's just so long, kind of unnecessarily um, long, and yeah, I've, I, it has like a lot of those same like playful aspects, like in tones, like the first film. But I just feel like because the first film is kind of does the same exact, well, not the same exact thing, but has that same playful tone, but does it in a in a shorter way. I feel like I like the first film more than the second one, but I still do like the second film. The second, well, not the second film, but the second book was actually. Like this is weird. It was it was the first Harry Potter book I read was Chamber of Secrets because my school library didn't have the first book. So for some reason, I wasn't like the first grade. I decided to read the second book. It made no sense. And then I I went back and read the first one. Then I read the second one. Then I kept reading the other ones. But yeah, weird weird weird, weird fact. Yeah, with you guys talking about like you know how long it is, I think like one part that can be cut out of like all of it is the photographer that like follows Harry around the whole time. Alan Creevy or whatever. Yeah, like I don't, 
I'm not saying I dislike the character. I'm just saying I kind of felt unneeded, and it was just like a side character they threw in that could be petrified when he saw the snake. Yeah, he's only there really to get like messed up by the snake, honestly. Like, so you don't yeah. really need to set him up that much. I mean, I guess you want to have like some kind of connection to the character to make that effective, but like, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, but. I mean, with the people they introduced in the first one, you could have just made the people petrified, like Hermione Keep, obviously, because that makes it a little more serious. And But you could, like, if you want a side character, you could throw in, like, Crab or Goyle. Like, we know them, and then it would be like, oh, Malvoy lost one of his, you know, boys. One of his henchmen. Yeah, that's fair. The, uh... I hope the, the Basilisk is cool. Like, I think it's a cool, like, aspect to the story. And I I remember, like... I don't remember a lot of stuff from, I feel like, from being a kid in general, but I remember reading the book and, like, it was it was a scary, like, concept um, and kind of a, like, mystery behind not really knowing what was going on and, like, all the stuff Harry was hearing. Like, I think I remember that just feeling really cool. Um, so I like how they brought that to the movie and it's, a, it's an interesting, um, kind of scary aspect of the story. Yeah, I... The Basilisk makes this, like, kind of set up the rest of the movies, too, by showing, like, you know, it's going to go down a darker tone, darker path. Like, his Quirrell, like, was still goofy. He didn't really, like, give that, you know, vibe in the first one. But the Basilisk and, like, showing Tom Riddle and showing that Ginny might die, like, that really sets the tone for the next six movies. Yeah, I was going to say this thing, like, um, like, as you go through the movies, like, each movie, especially, like, um... Like from 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 three and up, um, but in two it kind of introduces like a like like little sprinkles of, of, of more mature tones that will set up the tone for the future films. Because um, in, in in three it's like a complete departure from the playfulness of, of the first two films, and in three you get a way darker tone, you get a way darker color palette and um, color scheme, and that's like something that follows throughout from from three all the way to um, Deadly Hollows Part Two. Yeah, it's funny, Jeremiah, I was thinking about that, like, as I was watching them again, I was kind of trying to think about, like, what is the moment where, like, the, the tone just shifts and it changes? And, like, I feel like you can kind of point out, like, different moments here and there, but um, also what you said, like, the third movie looks completely different. Like, yeah. the way it was shot, the colors, like, I feel like the first two, like, when you see moments from the first two where everything else, like, you know kind of where you're at in story based on how it looks. Um, that's definitely a good call. Um, one other thing quickly, I, I really like uh, Kenneth Branagh in this. I think he's a lot of fun. Like, it's a fun character. and I, I like him a lot. Um, and I just love how, like, full of shit he is. And he's just, like, a ridiculous character. I was um, just going to bring that up because he's kind of, like, this universe is Jar Jar Binks where, like, people either love him or hate him for how dumb he is. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Because I feel like there's so many, like, his character feels very real. There's so many like full of shit people. Um, I just I like that character. I think he's funny, and I feel like people like that would exist in this world specifically. Yeah, I I enjoyed his character a lot. I love the part where um where where, where they're having like the 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 battle on the on the, on the tables. It's him and um I believe it's Snape. Snape? Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, th th that's a really fun scene, especially. Like also with with Harry and Draco, they also have a little little scuffle in this in in the same um, location. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I also think they did the scenes very well too, where Harry's talking to snakes. 
mm-hmm. where he can speak Basilisk. Yeah. Um, you said mentioned Draco uh, Jeremiah. I feel like um, he's honestly, in terms of acting, I think he's probably the best child actor in the first two. Like he's he's doing a decent job. Um, and I just feel like he kind of stands out from the rest of them. Like, no offense to the rest of them, but like he's he's pretty good. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is surprising too that he didn't like get a lot of roles after the Harry Potter franchise ended. It feels like. I feel like, I feel like that's the case for like a lot of people because I feel like they were like just so like um like like looked at and like. like into this this um, Harry Potter like type that no one really gave him like a real chance to expand out of uh, out of that type of role. I know um I mean Daniel Radcliffe he's had um some success out of out of the Harry Potter stuff. You know he was in um Swiss Army Man. Um, what else was he in? Um, he was in that uh, horror movie. It's like the woman uh, in woman in black. Is that what yeah, I think that's it. He was in a uh, Imperium too, I think it's called, where he played like he has to go undercover. He's in the FBI, I think, and he has to like go undercover as like a white nationalist and like try to figure out this like um, attack that's going to happen. It's like pretty intense. It's like not the best, but it's it's a really good performance by him. Um, I think it's worth watching. He's like he's also, a good actor. He's, he's the antagonist in uh, Now You See Me Too. Hmm. I haven't seen those those films. The the now you see me films. I haven't seen them. I really enjoy them. Number two is not a great film by any means, but it's like one of those that I still love. The first one's fun. The first one's worth yeah. watching. Um, it's not like the best, but if you ever want to something like fun to throw on, it's worth worth watching. Yeah, it's no, it's not a groundbreaking like magic film. Yeah. yeah. If you want a great magic film, watch The Prestige. Oh, uh, <laughs> That, that's my favorite Christopher Nolan film, personally. Over over Oppenheimer. Yeah, over Oppenheimer, over over, over the Dark Knight, over really anything. Um, I love the Prestige. I really do. It was it was Dan's and my number two. We have Oppenheimer one. Yeah, Oppenheimer yeah. definitely. Some. I definitely want to watch Oppenheimer again. I've, I've only seen it the one time. I didn't see it in in seventy millimeter IMAX like how I wanted to, but I, um, I definitely still like the way um that I saw like like the the way that it made me feel um. Probably it's definitely cemented as my number two for sure, even over the Dark Knight. So probably have I mean, yeah. probably have the Prestige, um, Oppenheimer, and then the Dark Knight at three for me personally. The Prestige is just so much more like so much more fun. I also think yeah. Connor, maybe for us, at least for me, I feel like it was a little bit of recency bias, like having seen Oppenheimer, and like it was just such an like experience, and there was so much hype around it. Like I feel like that definitely impacts my ranking right now. Um, but the procedures is like so much fun and like it's just I don't know, there's something unique about it. Um I get that, but for me, I hadn't seen a lot of Nolan's filmography till like recently. So I watched the Prestige for the first time two weeks before I saw Oppenheimer. Okay. So for me it it's probably a little bit of recency bias, but I've also seen Oppenheimer twice in theaters. So Yeah. All right, well, let's shift on to uh, what's probably the darkest of the Harry Potters, and that is the Prisoner of Azkaban. So, I think it's the darkest. I think it's up there. It's probably that, or it's probably that, or 
Deathly Hollows Part Two. Yeah, I feel like it's tough. I feel like like from this point on, they all kind of have their moments that are like really somber and like emotionally impactful. Um, but yeah, I I, don't, I feel like I I probably think it gets darker towards the end. But I don't know. There's definitely like a more ominous feeling throughout like the whole movie. I just think this one with like the Death Eaters in the beginning, you know, the Quidditch scene, um, you know, seeing Lupin turn and like go after the main characters and Sirius, all of it. I think it just like this one sticks out the most to me. That's fair. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it has a lot to do. I mean, I believe the first two films were both directed by Christopher Columbus. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've been checking on that, because I was going to say, this is the first one where the director changes. Yeah, um, Al- Alfonso Caron, um, he directed this film, and it, it was like a complete departure, but like, like I said before, a complete departure in tone from the past two films. Um, I, just, I, just, I just love what, what, what Caron um, brought, brought, to the, brought to the series at, at, at this point. He completely shifted it, and I feel like he... Um, it's cool because... The tone shifted as they were growing up and as they were maturing, so it kind of makes sense why it got darker because they were maturing and they were like um, going into a different phase of life. So it kind of makes sense why the tone was shifting in the way that it did, in my eyes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there's something I was going to say on this. Now I forget. I think Jeremiah, what you just said, like also as you get older, like you come to just understand everything in the world better and stuff gets more real. And it's less like when you're young, it's kind of like, ah, that's not really my problem. It's like this stuff is happening, but it's kind of like almost in a different world for you. But as you get older, you're like, okay, no, like I'm part of this, like this, this affects me. And like, you kind of see the characters come into that like frame of mind, like in this movie and moving forward. The dude, this is probably something I shouldn't admit being, you know, having a podcast and everything and being a content creator, but I just rewatched all of these last week and it was up until last week that I had realized that Gary Oldman played Sirius Black. <laughs> well, he he blends into the character really well. Like I I, I don't know if that sounds weird to say, but like I feel like he he doesn't like you're not looking at it like oh I'm watching Gary Oldman. Like he really I feel like was a perfect fit and it's a different look like it's it's a different character and he does an amazing job but i can i kind of get that like i get what you're saying yeah, yeah and the, the, no, go that's forward. kind of gary oldman's thing too is he like always just kind of blends in like he morphs into a character yeah i was gonna say he's like he's like one of the best character actors we have like working today honestly yeah like him and depp always like kind of change their look severely to where like you won't really recognize them in a lot of films obviously you know Depp, you can see him in everything but yeah um yeah i, I really like gary oldman and like serious as such i think i think one of the better characters uh the series has to offer so i'm glad they got an actor like that to take that role um kind of a random question is there anything casting wise that either of you would have changed is there anyone literally one through seven that you felt like and eh, this isn't quite how i feel it was supposed to be or just you felt like wasn't that strong it's a good question I'll let you take the lead on this because it sounds like you have one in mind to be totally honest 
I don't think I do, which is kind of why I want to ask because it's like, um, I feel like casting is like when you're doing a series like this, like it's one of the things you have to nail. Uh, I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like the character, like no, no shade to that to the actor, but like the character of Ginny herself, like she doesn't get much to do, and like I kind of wish she was written differently or like just was able to be more of a presence. And I, I honestly feel like in the books, she like had more of a personality and like a little more like energy. I don't know how to describe it, but that's the one person that I'm kind of like, I don't feel like she gives a whole lot throughout it, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, she's not the worst for sure. Yeah. Pulling out of the books. I agree with you too. Also, like I'm happy with every casting in this. I mean, Robbie Coltrane was fantastic like you couldn't find a better Hagrid but one thing I'm pulling out of the books is I wish we could have maybe seen more of a Percy Weasley yeah, is, he, is he older than Bill Bill yeah like Percy Weasley is he one of the, the brothers yeah he's the oldest brother Um, he eventually I forget what country he lands in from the books but he eventually goes on to work with dragons, which is kind of how they got, or which they have like a throwaway line in number four. He's kind of the one who transported the dragons for the Triwizard Tournament. Gosh, yeah, I think, I, I think you're talking, you mean Bill? Bill's the oldest. And oh, is then, it? Yeah, it's Bill, then Charlie, then Percy, Percy is the third. But oh, yeah, he, I don't even remember seeing, like, hearing him mention, I don't even remember him from the books at all. That's crazy Her- that you Percy is in it, like, he's in the first one. He's the first to go through platform nine and three quarters. Okay. You can, like, see him in the side in number two. I don't think he's in this one at all. He's mentioned in four. Number five, or no, I don't think he's in five. Number six is his wedding. That's, uh, that's Bill and Claire's wedding. Is it? Oh, yeah. man, I'm way off. All right. Yeah, it says he... Uh, works for the Ministry of Magic and then like has a falling out with the family and then eventually reconciles. But I guess that's why he wasn't in a lot of the story. Um, but yeah, Bill married Fleur and he's the guy with like the scars from like the yeah. And then Charlie is the second, and he's the one that's in Romania with like dragons and stuff. Oh, okay. Charlie's the one I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Um, it makes you like I don't know why they wrote all those characters if they weren't really going to use them. Um. But I mean, it's a fun family. And the mom is one of the best characters, like just funny wise. <laughs> like whenever she's on screen, it's very impactful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both of the both of the parents, I think, are really, uh, really good. One other thing I wanted to ask you guys about from the first two is this might sound weird, but like as I was watching it. I kind of don't, like, I don't feel like the Dursleys are, like, that awful, and I feel like I remember them being, like, work. At the end of the day, like, they're taking care of him, and, like, I feel like he's a little dramatic. Like, it could be worse. People are in much worse situations. Like, they're kind of mean, but, like, I don't know. I think it's a little, I feel like in the books, even, it was a little worse for Harry, or seemed worse. I actually kind of agree with you. <laughs> like, growing up, I remember I was, like, they're awful, and on rewatch, I was, like, yeah, like, you know, hey, they kind of suck. Like they all suck individually, but um, yeah. like arguably the worst one is um, uh, I think it's what what's his name, the like uncle, 
Vernon? Richard. Yeah, Vernon. Like, his yeah. sister. Like, she might be the worst. Like, and, you know, Harry just inflates her and sends her away. <laughs> yeah, also, I, I, I watched that, and I was like, did Harry just think he, like, killed her? Because, like, <laughs> like he's, he doesn't even care at all. She's just gone. Like, in his yeah. eyes, he's just like, she deserved that. She's gone. Like, I don't know. No mercy. But this is kind of back to my darker tones thing, too, is I, like, this might be my favorite beginning of all of them. Just because, like, you know, we start with that, but then it moves right into Harry waiting for a bus, and you see, like, the dark tone come out immediately with what we just see as a scary black dog, which we learn is serious, coming out of the bushes. And then you go into the whole fun bus scene where it's, like, you know, flying through city traffic, squeezing between two regular London buses. Like, I think that whole scene is so fun. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a good opening. It kind of gives you, like, a little bit of everything. Um, but you definitely feel, like, that ominous kind of feeling about the story. And, like, I do, I like that scene where, um, where he actually ends up blowing, like, blowing her up and, like, kind of defense, like, standing up for himself. Like, you kind of see a little bit of his, like, anger and everything come out. I feel like it's pretty decent acting and kind of a moment for him to, like, actually act after the first two movies is kind of being like, meh. So I like that scene too. I think this is also the movie where you see like the biggest jump where like you see the difference in the characters like age. Like in the first two, they look like preteens, like very young. And this one, they actually look like they've grown up, yeah. you know, and everything. And then they kind of keep that look throughout. What year did the, did the, um, chamber, what year did Chamber of Secrets come out? 2002, I think. Yeah, 2002. Yeah. Her came out what year. Oh, four. Oh, four. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So it makes sense, too. It's kind of wild, just, like, you watched all three of these kids grow up. And, like, we've seen the biggest stages of their life. They also, they made these movies quick. Like, yeah. it was 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005. Like, they were working hard. Like, that's a lot. In a yeah, short I mean, of time. an eight movie franchise in ten years because I think Deathly Hollows Part Two came out in eleven is impressive. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, think it's kind of like, yeah. like the, the demand of, of of these movies was probably like um like very high because the the popularity of the books. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't really like um like too aware of like how popular the books were growing up, but like I know like like looking back on like on like footage and, and stuff like that, I know like people like line outside of stores to like. For the release of the yeah. books, there's a lot of like hype and fandom around the books, so I'm sure there's a like very popular demand to get the movies out consistently for like um from, from like a business standpoint. I'm sure. Yeah, one of my big memories was there's it's not there anymore, but there's a pretty big bookstore by my house growing up. I think it was during the time my mom had cancer, and like she wasn't supposed to be around germs like at all. So, like, that's, I've said in a previous episode before, Jeremiah, like, that's, I think, where my love of movies comes from, is yeah. one of the germ-free places we could go, was to see movies, so that was our, like, thing. Yeah. But, she risked it on this one to go wait for the midnight release of The Order of the Phoenix. Wow. 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 <laughs> Dedication. I think, I think she, like, had cancer at that point. She lived, too, so, like, it's all good. I make plenty of jokes about it now. Hey, as long as you can joke about it after, it's that's all good. My mom might have a darker sense of humor than I do. <laughs> hey, a lot of times, going through stuff like that, like 
you get a pretty good sense of humor. And like, I think that's important to go to like take whatever life throws at you and like kind of keep your spirit. So that's good. But yeah, also this movie has my favorite Quidditch scene out of any of the movies. It's good. In the rain, Harry chases it up or chases the snitch up into the clouds, meets like, was it like three Dementors? Yeah, something like that. Three or four. Yeah, I didn't really like, they're just actively trying to kill him. Like, I didn't really understand. Like, they just, they just suck. Like, no pun intended. Like, I wasn't quite sure, like, why they were allowed to be there and, like, why they're just trying to kill him. Like, were they in line with Voldemort? Or, like, my. I don't know, because, like, you know, you can theorize about everything, but, like, going forward, as you see in number five, where, like, Umbridge is in, or no, number six, Umbridge is, like, kind of the head where, like, she's in the courtroom and everything, there's Dementors up top, like, maybe it was Umbridge in the background before we knew her. Yeah, and then I think, like, Voldemort has all the Dementors with him when they attack. Like, the Dementors all go to be with him when they, like, attack Hogwarts. So, I feel like they were always just kind of, like, I don't know, shady. But Yeah, it could, it's probably more Voldemort than Umbridge. But, you know, I just hate her. She's worse yeah. than Voldemort. Yeah. She's one of the worst villains. I mean, like, like, like one of the best villains, but one of, like, the worst characters to, like, to, like, get yeah, you know, you, you know what I mean, yeah. Look, I've never wanted to hit a woman. But. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, yeah. She's, she's, she's pretty terrible. Pretty terrible character. Yeah. She makes all their lives living up. Pretty much. Yeah. And, like, instead of getting the spinoff um, for Fantastic Beasts, what we should have got the spinoff of was the Marauders. Because we're introduced okay. to the Marauders map in this one, and I think like that's a story from like my perspective anyway, and the Harry Potter fans I've talked to, like that's the story everyone wants to see. It's like young James and Lupin and Sirius and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if, if you got some good actors on board, like people would love that. Um, I think you could even take that all the way up to like his Harry's parents' death, and like I feel like people would be all about it um oh but, absolutely and lupin is probably my favorite character in all of harry potter why i don't know if i have a great answer i just love the acting and like um you know like seeing him deal with all of this but then like he's still there he might be the smartest wizard like that we see outside of maybe dumbledore yeah I don't really have a great answer, but he's just been my favorite for a very long time. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. I think he has a great like energy about him. Um, and it's cool, like he has kind of that dark aspect of his character that he has to kind of keep in check and grapple with. Um, so I think that always makes any character more interesting. Like, I mean, that's why like we're talking about Batman. Like, that's what makes Batman so great is like he's not perfect. He's like has all this stuff going on inside of him, but like. He's still able to deal with that and be who he is, which is like more real than like a character like Superman, who's just kind of like always perfect. Um, not to get off track, but like I, I like that about Lupin as well. You and me get off track? Could never happen. But yeah, it's a solid, solid movie. Um, 
it kind of sucks he only got to direct one movie so yeah. kind of, it's kind of weird shifting because it's like the first two are columbus then changes for three changes for four and then consistent onward but like i think it makes three and four feel like more unique mm-hmm. was the rest of the series all directed by david yates uh, no. Mike Newell was Cobble of Fire. Okay. They went solo for three, solo for four, and then five to eight with Yates. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah. You guys have anything else on uh, Prisoner of Azkaban? Um, right. oh. no. I was going to say, like, I feel like the, the t- whole time travel thing is, like, a little gimmicky, but, like, it, I mean, obviously, it was it's how it was written, so... Uh, you know, it's fun, but it's a little, like, convenient. I do kind of like it, though, you know, like, adding in the time travel aspect, just because, like, it wasn't as similar as every other time travel movie we've seen. Like, this might be the closest they pushed to getting, like, near their in-time characters outside of Back to the Future, where Marty's, you know, standing right above his old self. Yeah. And I feel like when you introduce time travel in any story, it brings up a lot of questions about, like, okay, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Like, I don't know. But it is it is fun, and it works for the story, and, like, gives you a satisfying ending, so. Yeah, and I kind of like the aspect, too, where they're, like, in Hagrid's house. You know, you see Harry get hit with the rock, or, like, yeah. the pot smashed, everything. But then, like, when we're actually with Harry and Hermione in the time travel part, like, both of them are questioning, like, as if they don't remember that that happened, like... Yeah. Yeah, but solid movie all around. Alright, moving on to my personal favorite, Go- Goblet of Fire. I love the Goblet of Fire, personally, too. I, I feel like it's, it, has my, it has my favorite um, opening of any of the Harry Potter films. Personally. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's super dark, gets you right into it, I really loved it a lot, honestly. And you kind of see like how big the world of Quidditch actually is. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why I love it so much because I've always been a big fan of Quidditch in the universe of Harry Potter, and just seeing it on like that big of a stage um, is really cool to see. Like just to see like how how like universal it is and how like like big it is to people in the universe is really cool. Yeah, I feel like it, it really takes like the feeling of like soccer in Europe and just brings that to like a fresh point. Like it's, it's a, it's a cool sport. Like for the world, I feel like it fits. It doesn't feel like, you know, corny or like stupid. And like, they, they probably put a lot of work into making it look good, yeah. um, especially in like the later movies. So um, I love that, that aspect of it as well. The one part always that threw me off in the, from the beginning though, and it's not like discrediting this movie at all, but like it, I thought that was like a professional event. So it threw me off that Victor Crumb is still a high school student that's able to compete. You know, in the Tri Wizard. I mean, he's like Kobe coming out of high school. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If you're good, you're good. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, but then Kobe didn't go back in the winter and go play, you know, his high school ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. No, that was the only part that ever threw me off. But, you know, obviously, fictional world. I don't know how it works. Yeah, plus I think it's like they're like national teams, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like think about it that way. It's like you could have like So it's like Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to the Olympics or something like that. 
Yeah, makes sense. What about this makes it your favorite uh, all-around Connor? I like the Triwizard Tournament a lot, you know, so I like all the dragon scenes. Um, the underwater scene is probably, I don't know why, but it seems like it's the least challenging of all the Triwizard like, uh, games. Would you guys agree? I don't know. Because I'm sorry. No, you're oh, you're Wait, so can we go through what all of them were again? So it's um, the first, so it's the dragon, dragons, and then the second one is the under. Yeah, underwater, saving your friends, and then the third is the maze. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I do, I do think the underwater is probably the easiest. Um, and probably like the 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 least climactic, in my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna. I feel like I differ from you guys there. I feel like it's more interesting than the the dragon part because I like the kind of mystery aspect of like all of them a like figuring out how to breathe underwater. I thought that was cool how they all have like a different strategy and kind of have to like look into it. And then also um, like figuring out how to open the egg and stuff and like hear that message. I feel like it's kind of like um, well, the egg came from the dragon. Sure, but still, um, <laughs> just like the, the the mysteriousness of it, I kind of like, um, and I feel like the that's another sequence that like in the books was kind of like really creepy um, and cool. So I like the the underwater part. There's not one that I dislike. I enjoy all the scenes, which is again back to your question as to why it's maybe my favorite is because I enjoy every scene of the Triwizard Tournament. I kind of like that this is the first time we see the friend group feud, like Harry and Ron are getting along. Um, and I think this is where we see like the CGI really take a jump. Yeah. Yeah, this movie just looks like there's a lot more money like poured into it. Um, and like, yeah, it, it looks a lot better, which was necessary because like there's a lot going on like visually. Um, I also think it's cool seeing the other two like schools come in and kind of getting like that different. Like, the sense of, like, okay, it's not just Hogwarts, this is a world. Like, other countries have their wizards, and, like, they're kind of different, like, style-wise, and, like, with their magic and stuff. So, uh, I thought that was cool, too. Yeah, that was always the coolest part for me to see, like, um, like, like wizards from, like, other schools and, like, in other areas of the world. Like, it, it just it just builds the world. Like, it, like it, it um... Because when you see Hogwarts and, and, where, and, and, you, and, you, and where you see where they are geographically, like, you think... The Wizarding World is so small, but within this, in this fourth film, you see the world expand. So it just makes you it 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 expands your perspective on the whole wizardry world. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, it also, along with introducing you to that, introduces you to the dark side of magic better than the previous films by showing you, you know, of like the death curse, the torture curse. Yeah, uh, I feel like I almost like. I think I would have liked to see more of that, Jeremiah, like with seeing wizards from like all yeah. over the world and like other areas and just like I think I could have used a little more of that throughout. Um I think that would have been fun, but uh obviously it doesn't make or break it, but I did I like that aspect a lot. Um I think it's fun. But yeah, also kinda like you said, like you know, obviously we get to see like Baltimore in the flesh. Um 
and you know seeing Cedric Diggory die and all like it definitely like really grounds the whole series and I feel like this that's the moment where like a hundred percent you know going forward like it's gonna be different in terms of like the feel. Yeah, and then you know all the, I feel like Lucius Malfoy like, you know, we've always got, like, a bad sense from him, but this one, like, you really get it confirmed, too, seeing that he's a Death Eater, that he's kind of always around. You know, the bad parts. Yeah. Uh, and then Mad-Eye Moody. Well, not Mad-Eye Moody, Barty Crouch Jr., but Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> yeah. I also think, I think Lucius, um, that was... Yeah, Jason Isaacs. Like, I think he that was one of the best castings in the entire series. Like, um, I just feel like he portrayed that character so well. And, like, I think that's one of my favorite castings all around. Yeah, no, I agree. And then Ray Fiends might be one of my favorite castings, too. He is one of the most underrated actors working right now. Is there anywhere, uh, anyone else you guys would have liked to have seen the play? Baltimore. Maybe yeah, there's a lot of directions you can take it, but I think I would. I think I would like to see Matt Mickelson. Maybe Matt Mickelson. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. I think he has kind of like the like quiet, calm, like coolness, but also like the the ability to go like unhinged. Um, and kind of like let that like rage out. Um, I feel like Willem Dafoe would have been kind of interesting. Like I, I don't know if it would have been the best, but like I still, would like, I would like to see that take. Um, I love him, but yeah, I mean, Javier Bardem is the one that popped into my head. Yeah, I feel like it, I would. I feel like it sucks. Like I feel like he's got, he's got some roles that weren't that great and i feel like because he's was such a good villain um like for example for bond or in no country for old men like i feel like a lot of people like threw money at him to just like be a villain and like even like pirates of the caribbean i'm just like man this is a wasting like a good actor like yeah just kind of sucks, but he's still well, really talented it's kind of his role for no country that made me like think of him just because you know the monotone like very serious always an intense scene when he's on screen yeah but I don't think I would change it from Ray Fines. Yeah. Anything you guys don't like about this one? I feel like bits of it can be rushed. Like, specifically the scene where Voldemort does come back. You know, like, he's, you know, this scrawny little thing, like, can't do anything on his own. And then he gets like Harry's blood, uh, his own hand. And then he just gets thrown into a pot with a little spell. And he's like, pretty much comes right out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think they could have done more, like let him maybe like brew in that pot for a minute. If you want to refer to it that way. And then like kind of have something or like maybe the death eaters arrive then. And they like all see Harry and they like have some dialogue there. Or like you know they're like trying to like hold people off till Voldemort actually gets out, something like that. A little more like tension build up. Yeah. I also like in this movie like it's cool seeing Robert Pattinson. This is like three. It's like three three years before Twilight. 
Yeah. Um, and it's cool getting to see him like act a little bit before getting kind of like thrown into all that. Um, but I, I think he's good here as a degree. Absolutely. Um, maybe one thing. What's the girl's name? Um, Lafleur. Flair Delacour. Yeah, Flair Delacour. I would have maybe liked to see more with her, or maybe have her have a few more lines. Yeah, she just feels like kind of like thrown in. Um, She's like, like a side main character. Yeah, I feel like her and uh, like Crumb or whatever at least got a little more, more to do in the books, and like. This one feels a lot, a lot more focused on Hogwarts still, even though that aspect is there. So that would have been cool to see. Jeremiah, you got anything on that? Um, I do like the well. I'm like when I watched the movie, like when I was younger, I've always liked the the aesthetic look of um the the, the school that Victor Crumb comes from. I'm not, I'm forgetting the name of the exact thing. Yeah, I would have loved to see like more um, from the perspective of of their schools and then like and like their the their type of um, aesthetic and, and wizardry. I would have loved to see more more stuff from them. Um, that, that that's always something I, I want to see more out of this film. Even like a five minute sequence on like yeah. each of the schools, like even with some exposition or whatever, like just to show like them kind of in their day to day, that would be like really cool to see. Yeah, or or even maybe like to to see them like like actually in their schools like before they came to hogwarts just to see like where yeah. they're coming and like how yeah like how the like how they got there it would have been cool like instead of just seeing them like plop into hogwarts out of nowhere well not out of nowhere but like just plop like randomly in the movie um it, it would have been nice to see like where they actually came from and how they got there a little bit like maybe like not something extensive but just something at least yeah yeah maybe like take away some of the scenes with like haggard's girlfriend because like I feel like that didn't add a lot to the story, and do exactly like what Jeremiah was just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Also, back to like how the CGI stepped up its game. I think one of the cooler scenes that like still looks very good to this day is when they're like right before the first trial when they pull their dragon out of that little bag. Like that still looks very good. Yeah, that's the, I like that part. Um, yeah, but I think they definitely like. They stepped it up in a lot of ways here, um, and in, and then into Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, this movie feels like the closest to a Christmas movie out of the eight, though. Because of the whole winter ball and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the like angsty kind of teenage stuff. I feel like they could have dialed back and like put more into like some other things, but yeah, like um, the scene where Hermione's yelling at Ron after the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's whatever. I, I like. How do you guys feel about that relationship in general? Like, does that feel like? How did it feel in the movies? Like, do you think it was well done? Did it feel believable? Like, what do you think? I feel like at times it can feel believable. Sometimes it doesn't. Like, it tapers on and off from feeling um, believable and not believable. Um, specifically in in the fourth film, I feel like. Um, it works for the most part because like you kind of see like um them like them like being at being at odds but it's kind of because they like have such strong feelings for each other even though they may not like fully realize it yet like those feelings are start starting to um, develop with each other i um, mean you're starting to see like them like 
kind of indirectly express their feelings for each other. So it is it is kind of cool, and I think it does work in this one, but it does taper on and off. Like I feel I feel like in the in the fifth film it kind of tapers off a little bit, but it works more in the fourth film for me in, in terms of Hermione and Ron. What about you, Connor? Yeah. Uh, I'm more coming on like number six. Like it kind of feels rushed. Like. Oh. No, I meant six instead of five. That's what I meant. Sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, you're good. It gets a little confusing. Yeah. But, like, number six, like, it's, like, you know, Ron's kind of dating this girl. And, like, the previous to that, like, we saw, like, kind of Ron and Hermione's chemistry building a little. But then all of a sudden, it's, like, number six. Like, Hermione's just jealous and crying over him on the stairs. <laughs> yeah. I feel, like, I feel like they kind of try to introduce, like, um, I mean, even in, even in Deathly Hollows Part 1, like, they kind of, like, try to introduce like um harry and hermione maybe like becoming something eventually but i mean that was kind of weird to me it doesn't really work for me personally that weird weird dance scene yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> cool and yeah but yeah I feel, like, I feel like they really tried to like do like in the early movies they do like little things like uh i think in, in prisoner of azkaban when they're like um Harry's going off the Buckbeak, and, like, Hermione, like, grabs Ron's hand, and then they're like, oh, like, I don't know. And it's, like, it's, like, they put in tiny moments, like, here and there. But, like, I feel like that doesn't do that much to, like, and then, like you said, when you get to, like, towards the end, it seems so, like, intense. Um, and, like, I don't know. I don't think it feels, like, that well-developed, but they also just, like, spend so much time. Like, I feel like Harry, Ron and Hermione are just always together, like, when Harry's off doing whatever. So, um, I guess it makes sense. All right, moving on to what I think number five, Order of the Phoenix, might be the most underrated Harry Potter movie. For sure. For sure. I agree. It might be my favorite Um I love the whole, like, Dumbledore's army aspect and, like, the introduction of Umbridge. Like, we already talked about her, but um, she's such a good character. I feel like she has, like, almost like Nurse Ratchet vibes. Like, Oh, very close, yeah. It's just that, like, and that, like, in, like, abuse of power type character is, like, really effective, I think. Um, so, uh, she was great, obviously, and then it just whole Dumbledore's army aspect and, like, all their training I thought was fun. Um, seeing Harry kind of step into a role as like a leader, I enjoyed. Um, I think it's a really fun movie, and uh, also dives into all dives into the kind of like psychological stuff between Harry and Voldemort, like their connection. I think that's cool too. Oh yeah, I mean Imelda Stunton. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She played this role unbelievably well. Umbridge. Yeah. I, again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but she was fantastic in this role. I hate her, but... Yeah. What are your feelings on this one, Jeremiah? Um, it's probably up in my top three of the series. Um, It's kind of okay. like, a, not necessarily like like an underdog story, but it, it is really cool to see all the students rise up and like, and like back Dumbledore. And just like train and like become stronger wizards in their own right. It's really cool to see. Like even like like the like the side characters like um like um like Neville. You're, like you're seeing characters like him like started starting to become stronger wizards and just like, become become stronger characters in the franchise when they were kind of in the past ones kind of pushed off to the side. Like like you're starting to see an introduction of them becoming 
stronger and more important characters in the in the whole of the series. So something that's really cool to see. See, I'm actually gonna disagree with you. I think this is an underdog story. Mm-hmm. Where you said it's like not a full one. Like I think that's like a true underdog story just because of how many like fools um, Umbridge puts into place. She like kinda makes Dumbledore step away. Everything else, like it kind of becomes like Harry and Dumbledore's army, like are just underdogs, like trying to fight back, you know, as much as they can. I also think there's something interesting about this is you're so used to seeing Dumbledore, like so in control and like a, such a strong character. And here you see like, okay, like he can be not like pushed around, but like, he's not just the be all end all of the world. Like there are people that, you know, in like the ministry of magic and there's other stuff going on above him. Um, that's, that's deeper. And like, it just makes it feel a little more like real and like tense. I think, um, I mean, any character, I think when you're writing them, like you don't want to make them too strong or too, uh, you know, they need to have some kind of weakness. They, they can't just be like the end all be all of their world. So I like seeing him kind of get like some resistance against himself, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think this one too, like serious, serious black too, like that whole scene, I mean, is pretty emotionally devastating. I think it's the saddest death in Harry Potter, in my opinion. For sure. I don't agree with that, but it's up there. So what do you think is who who has um, the saddest death? Oh, Dobby. I knew you were going to say Dobby. Man, <laughs> that scene is so good. Like, oh, the yeah. knife going through, and then, like, it hits him, and, like, the, just, like, it's so quiet on the beach, and, like, their conversation, like, I think that's such a good scene, but... Um, yeah, I think, I, I think you just convinced me. I think, I think that's the saddest death, yeah. It's a great, it's a great scene. Like, yeah. I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah. Well, so, back to the serious death. You know that that scene was actually supposed to have, like, Harry yelling out, like, no, or, like, serious, something along those lines. But apparently Daniel Radcliffe had just lost his grandmother either that morning or the night before. And he screamed so loud that they took out the audio and just put the music over it. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, you don't think about, like... Actors having to manage their entire like personal life and then like still go like go to work like anyone else and like perform like that's so difficult. Um, and I feel like especially if what you're experiencing in real life is contrary in tone. I mean, this isn't, but like contrary in tone to like how you're supposed to be acting. Like that has to be so difficult um, to do. I think that's just, like something we just kind of take for granted. Like they're machines, but they're not. Yeah, you have to like filter out like your your outside life and steward your emotions and um and, and like for what the character needs or for what the scene needs and yeah like you were saying it's like we take for granted how like how hard it is for like someone to actually do that because like these are real people and they deal with real things um but like they're they're people that we just see through a screen and sometimes we forget that like they're actually like people that are just like us who deal with like things like just like us so yeah Now, uh, back to the movie, too, because you guys said everything flawlessly. Um, I think this movie, too, allows you to kind of sympathize with Snape a little more when he's, like, you know, trying to teach Harry how to, like, not let Voldemort into his head. All those scenes, very intense. Yeah, Yeah. some of the best scenes in the movie, by far. But when Harry does it back to Snape, and, like, you kind of see that Harry's dad, like, 
bullied Snape, you know, would like torture him when they were in school together. Like, yeah, I think that the whole like James Potter, like, I think whether it be like your dad or like anyone you look up to in life, like, there are moments where you realize, like, oh, like they're not perfect, yeah. like, they're flawed, um, just like anybody else, and like they might have done stuff that like uh, is even worse than that. Like, you don't know, like you just kind of come to, to realize that like, that's just a person. They're, they're not perfect. They're not Superman. Like they're just like you or me. Um, so I kind of like that aspect of the story, like him coming to realize like, okay, my dad was, you know, a good man and did good things, but also had these negative characteristics. And like, I'm not going to be like that. Like, that's not how I'm going to be. And like, I think that's important to look at your heroes and like also identify like how you want to be different. Yeah. Um, no, that was spoken flawlessly. Uh, what's your guys' thoughts on Luna Lovegood? She's dope. <laughs> She's definitely um I feel like I feel like she like sticks out like in like in like all the characters because she's just so different. She's so unique. She has like her own like um her own like 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 visual aesthetic, her her like just her own vibe. She just stands out from everyone else. And yeah, I was gonna say she's one of the more unique characters in all of Harry Potter, which is something to say given the characters yeah. we meet. Yeah, now, it's funny we we just talked about what we talked about because uh, actually this this was not my idea, but I saw actually saw on TikTok someone talking about how Luna is the Snape to their group, where she's like there's there's the core group of like four or five and then she's kind of the outlier and she's the person who's like weird or whatever and like if harry was a shitty guy like he might like ostracize her or like treat her weird because she's different but like kind of like i just said he is like he is different and he's like a kind person and like you know includes her and like doesn't treat her like his dad treated snape um and that's kind of like and there's a lot more to that analogy but i think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about Man, it's funny because you actually kind of see Hermione pick on her a little in the very beginning when they get on the cart. When she, like everyone else, doesn't know who she is, Hermione says, "This is Looney Love." I mean, Luna Lovegood. <laughs> yeah, like a little judgy ish. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like piggyback piggybacking off of off, off of all the things you're saying, like especially talking about like like James Potter and um and Snape. I think something we haven't really talked about is um. Like like the the different um houses of, of of Hogwarts and like how each house has like um like a certain like like people perceive them as being certain things like like people see like Gryffindors as being only only good natured people and kind people because they're perceived as this or that and and Slytherin people as being like conniving even though they might be something else so I feel like like each house has like a perceived notion of what people in those houses are even though internally they could be something completely different there's like there's like a there's a there's a there's, a, there's like certain stigmas and certain um stereotypes that are associated with each with with each different house um which i think is really interesting because um yeah i don't know no i like it have you guys taken the online quiz to see what house you are i have what are I think you i did a very very long time ago i did it a long time ago but i got i got gryffindor one time and then i think the the next time i got hufflepuff i think okay so, yeah, Dan. I I literally couldn't tell you. I, after this, I will go do it, and I'll I'll see what it says. I was um, gonna say it's been a few years since I did it, but I got Slytherin back in the day. 
Yeah, but I think it's cool, like like Jeremiah was saying, like, I think they all kind of learn throughout the story. Like, I, mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of, like, kind of serious themes behind Harry Potter. Um, I mean, like, the villain is literally, like, basically, like, a nationalist. I mean, at the end of the day, like, he's pretty much, that's what he is. Um, and, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to dive into there. But, like, sticking with the houses, um, I think it's cool how towards the end, like, that starts not mattering as much. And it's more about them all just kind of coming together and like being a cohesive unit outside of just like the petty, like childish, like, Oh, you're a Slytherin. So you're bad. I'm a Gryffindor. Like that kind of stuff fades away. And it's more about like, okay, we're all people. Um, we're all on the same team. Uh, and like, just cause you might see someone like in a different color robe doesn't mean they're bad or good or anything. It's just like, um, yeah, it's supposed to be one team, one fight. Yeah. And I feel like that, 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 that stigma stems from the first film, like, because um, in the first film, we're introduced to Draco, who's, like, the first Slytherin we really see, and he's, like, like, like the way that his character is, like, it's, like, completely opposes Harry, um, and then Harry, like, like you, he's in the, he's, he's on the the chair for the, for the sorting hat, and he's, like, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, so then you're thinking, like, Slytherin is, like, the, the house that you don't want to be a part of, it's the house that you don't want to be associated with, so, like from that point on, like you're thinking that oh, Slytherin is this bad house with with bad people that you don't want to be associated with, even though that may not like precisely be the case. Yeah, well, yeah, and to add on to that too, like Snape being the head of the house of Slytherin, the way he's portrayed, like yeah. really adds to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's like strong like like political parallels there too. It's like, it's almost the same thing as the house, and like you might see yourself as like. You might like I, I don't know I think it's just like that analogy is there and you can kind of see it as like you kind of have to get past just seeing someone as whatever a political party or a house or whatever and like actually get to know who they are and understand there's like they're not just like what you perceive them to be as based on like the overarching message of like what you're told yeah. Yeah, and getting back to uh, Order of the Phoenix too, in the very end, kind of when you know Voldemort appears after he chased down Bellatrix, and that whole scene, it might be one of the best acting scenes in the entire franchise from Daniel Radcliffe when he's kind of on the ground fighting back with Voldemort in his head with like the sand cloud around him. Yeah, is that is that before Dumbledore shows up? No, it's after. After, okay, yeah. Yeah, because, like, Dumbledore and Voldemort, like, do their fight, and then he, like, kind of takes over Harry's body from in his yeah. mind. Yeah, 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 okay. I remember that, yeah. That, the fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort, that might be my favorite, like, fight in the entire series, honestly. Um, I love that scene, and I love, like, I love how quiet it is. Um and then they're just kind of going at it like it's just a very like serious feeling also no pun intended like going back to serious um i feel like when he died like i like how that moment is done because it's so just like quick like it's not dramatic it's not like it feels very real like this is you see like this is a war like and war is not there's not some big dramatic scene where you die like you're just gone and he just kind of goes, and like I, I really like how that was done, and it just feels very like real. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it was kind of like cool is not the right word to use, but it's oh. what I'm going to use. It was kind of cool how he was in front of the tower and like just faded right into it. Yeah. You know? Like we've yeah, seen no death in this series no before life. and they just fall on the ground like any other death. Yeah. It's like that one was almost poetic too. Oh. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. Um, I really like it a lot. Harry's a little like... It's like Harry's writing in this isn't is sometimes like inconsistent. He's kind of like all over the place and like moody and like, but you, he is dealing with all that like psychological turmoil. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but I think the one defense behind that is like everyone is kind of like either with him one hundred percent or they're against him because of the way the Daily Prophet is writing. You know, everything like turning people against him and Dumbledore, and then like he just dealt with like probably the most impactful death that he can remember because obviously he doesn't remember his parents death yeah and all that like he's coming off that and they even address it too like he's talking to Sirius and he's like i'm so angry and i don't know why yeah speaking of the daily prophet like i liked like the whole like propaganda aspect of like that being shown as a, a part of the world i think is very cool and i like that they added that in um and just kind of that extra like media aspect is interesting how it can be like a positive or negative yeah no, and like absolutely. how things are written about like when you see like little like newspaper clippings about stuff that's going on or things like that throughout the series all right we're ready to move on to uh half blood prince yep okay this one might be the most forgetful of the harry potters yeah, I was just gonna say this is the one that I remember like the least about, honestly. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> it was, this movie was like the main reason I rewatched them all leading up to this episode. Yeah, it's yeah, it's this one, and honestly, for me, maybe um, Deathly Hollows Part One. I think this movie is like it's almost like a prologue to the Deathly Hollows. Like it's it's like. Kind of like this is a not the best analogy, but it's kind of like in Game of Thrones where like there would be episodes where like it feels like. Have you guys ever wanted to create your own podcast? You know, you and your friends get together, you have some good ideas. Well, the easiest way to do it is Anchor through Spotify. You can record there, you can upload, upload to all your platforms, just to upload the links, and you can earn money right away. If you haven't checked it out already, check out Anchor for Spotify. Nothing happens, but it's like. A lot of conversations, a lot of like building up different plot points and like getting things to the point where there can be like a battle of the bastards, whatever. Like there's a payoff, but like to get to that point, you have to like do all the setup for it not to feel cheap and like weak. So uh, I think this movie does a lot of that setup. Um, obviously, the ending is like one of the best scenes in any of the films. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of setup, but I, I kind of like the whole, like, Harry and Dumbledore off together kind of thing. Like, I love Dumbledore's one of my favorite characters, um, so I like that he gets a lot of time, and it's a lot of, like, diving into, um, like, Voldemort's past, how he got to be who he is, like, everything about the Horcruxes, like, um, I enjoy all that backstory as well. What are your guys' thoughts on, um, on Draco's, like, character development within this, um, Wanna go first, Connor? Sure. Um it definitely seemed like the path that they were leading him on through the first, you know, five movies 
so it wasn't like a total shock. But I do like, you know, towards the end when like they're gonna kill Dumbledore, that it's you know, you can see his resistance. Like there is still good in Malvoy. I think it's balanced very well. I think um I think the Malfoy family is so interesting because I think again they just it feels very real. Like you have this character in Lucius who's like this cold, like so set in his ways, like hateful person. Um, and you see how that impacts kids and like Draco is just so like indoctrinated into this way of thinking of like, I'm better than you, um, my no, my family's better than yours, like for XYZ reasons and like um Again, you see that in the real world, and it's like you can kind of see Draco struggling to uh, also like be his own person, kind of. But he still always has that in his mind, like from his parents, of like how things are supposed to be. And then also, I think you do see like with Lucius and Draco, like how much fear at the end of the day is like a motivating factor for them. Like they're just cowards. Like at the end of the day, like Lucius is afraid of Voldemort, so he's probably thinking like. He has all these like ways of thinking about the world, but at the end of the day, he feels like he's on the side that's going to win, and like that's what he's concerned about. Um, and that might be out of like concern for his family, might be out of concern for himself, but like he's just a coward. Um, and Draco, I think, struggles with not feeling like he's doing the right thing, but also being terrified of like letting down his family, letting down Voldemort, whatever, like or just not wanting to die. So, I think there's a lot with those characters. It's really cool. Your thoughts, Jeremiah? Um, I just think it's really cool seeing that 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 chain of fear, like you were saying, how how Lucius is afraid of Voldemort and how Draco's kind of afraid of Lucius, and then even how how Draco. I mean, how um, I'm, I'm forgetting Draco's friends, um, Crab and Oil. Oil. Yeah. yeah. How they're like in, in 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 a certain way afraid of Draco. So like that 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 chain of fear and like that chain of like command and like how um how it just like um how it links and reacts and stuff like that. I think that's interesting. And just seeing like uh, like you were saying, Connor, um Draco's like like regret and remorse and, and, and hesitance to ultimately doing what he does to Dumbledore, um, is just really interesting and, and compelling to see um within this film. Yeah, no, Dra Draco is some of the better character development out of all of them, but I think the best sure. has to go to Neville. Like, yeah. throughout all the movies is what I'm talking about, not just this one's alone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that, like, going back to... Is it the, the first movie or the second, when he, like, stands up to them and, like, tries to stop them from going out? It's like, he's, like, worried about, like, them losing points for the stupid-ass house thing or whatever, but, like, it's the first one when they're getting ready to go um to like to the, yeah yeah, yeah to chase the, down yeah. the stone yeah and i feel like as kind of the opposite of draco like neville is like even though he's kind of looked down on by a lot of people he's always like stands up for what he believes in and he's brave and like will go against the grain and i feel like him and draco are kind of like complete opposites in that way Yeah, I hear that. Um, this movie, though, alone might have one of my favorite Harry Potter scenes. Just from when he drinks the liquid luck. And, like, he is just the most cheerful person in this, like, very dark time when he, like, sees the professor, like, stealing leaves to go sell on the wizarding black market. 
Like yeah, yeah. This, this movie has like some really like does have some really like fun and light moments, and does have like a lot of that like still kind of magic around Hogwarts. And I feel like it's kind of the last bits of that we get, like the last bits of light we get really in series uh, are in this movie, but then there's also like really dark moments and serious stuff. So uh, it's kind of like saying goodbye to Hogwarts in a way with some of the moments. Yeah, because like this, nah. this, this is like the last film where you see like Hogwarts intact, I guess. Um, like, like like where you see it like with like students fully like going to class and like like kind of like a day to day regular stuff. Because in, in the next two films, um, Hogwarts really isn't the same. Well, well, you don't see like the main three trio within Hogwarts really anymore in, in the next two films. And then eventually, like what happens in the in, in the second film, you know, the place it's like crumbled. <laughs> Yeah, it's the war zone. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, I still think it's the most forgettable. Um, but after like rewatching it this week, like it still offers like a lot of enjoyable scenes. Like if you would have asked me like two weeks ago to tell you about this movie, I probably wouldn't have been able to give you a great description outside of like Horcruxes and Dumbledore dying. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how like what last like last thought on this is like. Each of these movies really have like just absolutely iconic moments that like you remember, and like it's not easy for movies to deliver like moments of that magnitude. I feel and like all of these do in their own way at different moments. So that's just like really impressive to me. Um, the general like maintenance of quality, like over eight movies, um, it's pretty wild. Yeah, two takeaways I have from this is one: this movie like. I'm not saying theme. I'm saying like actual cinematography. Like it felt very dark. Did you guys notice that at all? Yeah, I feel that way from like probably the Order of Phoenix on. I feel like it's kind of shot that way. Okay. Like I feel, I feel like this one specifically though. Like like um like it. I don't know. Like it's hard. To, it's hard to put into words. Like it literally. Like I mean, like like you were saying from like from. I mean, from like three, four, five, six, like to up, like they're all dark. But this one, like, is like I feel like it's like rooted in like shadows and like it's just like really, like um has like this dark and eerie color palette. Um, it, it, it just works with, with like a lot of like dark blues and and blacks and and grays, just like really really dark tones, like like cinematically wise. Yeah, and then the final thing I have on this is when uh snape delivers uh the killing curse his is blue instead of green which is what it usually is and like the big fan theory behind this there's no confirmation is that it's because he didn't want to kill dumbledore yeah I mean, you guys ever heard that never heard of that before i think i did a while a while back but i th- I, th- I mean i think snape is like probably my favorite character in the series. Um, and I think Alan Rickman is like maybe the most talented actor that was in the series. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that, that moment is, is really strong. Um, and like his, his entire storyline is like one of the best arcs for sure in fiction. So, uh, yeah. And this greatest arc in fiction is still Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Uh, I know you're a big Star Wars guy. I'll I'll leave you have that. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was funny. I saw one of Jeremiah's videos talking about Star Wars and everything and all the sideshows. And, like, I'm one of the few Star Wars fans, actually, that will tell you you don't really have to watch all the sideshows. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation about that yesterday with, with, with um, one of my friends. I was asking, because I haven't seen Ahsoka or I haven't seen um, the Obi-Wan show. Like, I've seen, like, the first two seasons of Mandalorian, but outside of that, I haven't seen any of the other um, Star Wars shows. So I was, like, asking him, I was like, is it worth like watching these shows? Like I don't, like, I wasn't sure. Um, like, do you have any any thoughts on that? I'm curious to see. My take on that is Clone Wars is the greatest Star Wars show, mm-hmm. and I don't think it will ever be beat. Mm-hmm. However, you don't have to watch the whole thing. It's not a kids show by any means. Like, there's suicide, genocide, war crimes, you know. Um, but there's a section on Disney Plus where it's like important Clone Wars episodes. That that could be very beneficial if you want to know some more lore on the story or Ahsoka specifically. But I would really just recommend watching season seven if you've seen the movies. Uh, Tales of the Jedi is one that I think everyone should watch. Tales of the Jedi, what is that? It's an anthology series. It came out last year, um, and it's six episodes. And I think the longest episode is thirteen minutes. This is They're like is it just is it just live action or animation? No, it's like Clone Wars animation. Okay, cool. But, and they're not, they don't like follow each other at all. So, like, the first episode is Ahsoka as like a baby, and it like shows her family. Like, the second episode shows like Count Dooku and young Mace Windu. So, like, all of that. But I wouldn't watch that till you watch like the final three episodes of Clone Wars. Okay. Um, because really you could get away with watching the final three episodes of the Clone Wars. Um, and then Ahsoka, you don't really need to watch, and honestly, it wouldn't be that impactful for you if you have not watched all of Rebels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Obi Wan, I just really Obi Wan to shit on a lot, but I just enjoy it because it's you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen on screen again. But there's no actual like outside of just seeing that, like nothing happens. Like it doesn't change. Like for me, it just doesn't change anything, and that's what I thought about Boba Fett too. I'm just like, why did I watch this? Like it's just looking at these characters and which is like fun but it only gets me so far i don't know i love boba fett he's one of my favorite fictional characters ever like i literally have him tattooed on me forever (laughs) but like the book of boba fett wasn't good i enjoyed it just because i do like boba fett but i know it's not good yeah um but at the same time people hate the star wars take from me that boba fett's really not as badass of a character as people think he is like, look at the movies itself. Empire, all he does is he, you know, shows up, he takes Han Solo away in Carbonite, and then, number six, he, like, goes to fight Luke Skywalker, and in a matter of, like, 30 seconds, he's getting swallowed into the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. Like, yeah, wait, what, what do you love about him? He puts that dude on you. <laughs> uh, I like a lot of his legends, like from the books, yeah. So that's where a lot of my love comes from him. And then he's one of the coolest characters. Like his character design is, is yeah. Nuts. Like he looks sick. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So that people hate my take on Boba Fett, but that's my take. Like no, he's not fair. as badass as people think. That's a fair. But take. also, fair. a lot of my love for him comes from the Clone Wars series. Oh. Like mm-hmm. seeing him as a kid, and then like kind of developing. Yeah. From Boba Fett back to Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so in the Deathly Hollows Part One. Deathly Hollows Part One. This was um, I remember like when this movie came out. This was like, I think this was the first Harry Potter movie that I saw in theaters, and I remember um, asking my mom if if we can go watch it, and like and she she was like. We can go watch it, but you promise, like, you can't get scared because, like, I think she watched the trailer. Like, she she wasn't too familiar with the Harry Potter series, but she like saw the trailer and like it looked kind like kind of dark and like um like kind of scary. So she asked me, like, "Are you sure you want to watch this?" And I was like, "Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm sure." And I remember, like, I remember leaving the leaving the theater like a little bit spooked, but it wasn't like too scary because um like this film um outside the other films is like more based in reality. Like you see like more of of them in like. Like, uh, like real life. Like you see them in London. You see them like in like actual spaces with like non wizards and stuff like that. So the movie didn't scare me too much as I thought it would. But um, yeah, I I, just, I think it's interesting how it's like like in like a different space than the other other films. Like it's 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 outside of Hogwarts. It's like more rooted in like like real life spaces and stuff like that. So that's pretty interesting. Nah, bro, that scene where oh. the old lady turns into the snake. <laughs> I about jumped out of my seat when I saw that in theaters. <laughs> yeah, that was good. But that that I feel like the, the build up in that scene is like pretty legitimately scary. Like it's some like decent horror stuff there. Um and like it's all snowy and like it's like a very like dark scene. I, I liked that a lot. Honestly, like the, the scene that probably scared me the most was the part where where they were getting chased in the woods. I don't know why, but like that, that always like, there, there, there's a lot of tension in that scene. I, th- I feel like it works really well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you two correct me if I'm wrong. Is it this one where Hermione's kind of being tortured by Bellatrix? Yeah, that's, that's right after they get caught in the woods. Okay. And, like, they hit Harry in the face with that, like jinx to like mess up his face. Yeah. Cause these, yeah, these movies I- obviously connect so well that like, I kind of forget which one or like where it ends and everything. But yeah, that the like scream that Emma Watson gives in that scene is like unbelievable. Yeah, it's scary. Honestly, yeah. this film really has a great opening as well. Like just seeing like all the characters of of, of the series like try to get wait, am, am I am I thinking of the correctly? Like all the characters of the series, they're they're trying to get Harry to um, um Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have all the fake Harry's like on yeah. the Yeah, yeah, yeah Hedwig does too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, my only gripe with the opening scene because I do love it how they all turned into Harry. Hedwig's mm-hmm. death was sad as shit. Yeah, but, but it's the fact that when they arrive to like the safe haven or whatever, like they just announce that Mad Eye's dead. Like I w- like with how impactful that character was, I wish we would have like maybe seen his death. You know, or like there would have been more to it than just like oh Mad Eye didn't make it and they just move on. <laughs> Yeah, they went with there. There are a few off-screen deaths. Um, to me, he's a character I I really enjoy. But like that was just kind of whack. I mean, I know that there's like so much to get through and like so much to show, and like they don't want to drag the movies out. But yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. Um, but Hedwig's death too. Like it's so just like again, there's no fanfare. Just like quick and like sad. That one though, I kind of like understand the way they did it because of just how intense the scene was. Yeah, you know? yeah, you can't really like linger on that. Yeah, it's always the animal deaths that hit you harder. Yeah, man, it's a good out. But yeah, um, and then you know, like the whole is it this one? Yeah, it's this one where they like 
you know, take Polyjuice Potion, disguise themselves, and get into the Minister of Magic. Uh, like, find Umbridge, get the Horcrux. Like, I'm not gonna lie, that always bothered. Like, I don't understand how this like magical government body like doesn't have any kind of way to detect if someone is using Polyjuice Potion that literal kids can cook up in a school. Like, what are we? Wow. Yeah. I was like, come on, man. But, also, if Voldemort really wanted to be smart, he could just take Polyjuice Potion and get into anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, actually, speaking of which, I meant to like revert back. Ungoblet of Fire. When Voldemort comes back, I, I think this is a fan theory, but it might be an actual theory. I don't know. But supposedly, he was planning on killing Harry Potter, like in that graveyard. And poor keys are usually only one way. But Barty Crouch Jr. made this one so it'd be two ways. And he was going to take Polyjuice Potion and like turn into Harry, supposedly, come back and kill Dumbledore right there in front of everyone. That would have been a good move. Yeah. Strategic. But anyway, back to Deathly Hollows part one. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's really solid. And also, I mean, like, this is this is where Dobby dies as well, right? Yeah, that's like the final scene. Yeah, like that's that's tough. Um, everything you said. One little part of this I do like is the uh, when they do the animation thing to show the Deathly Hollows and the three brothers, like their story. Like, like it's like a little short film in the middle of this, and like that's so cool to me. I love that. I, I love that part as well. It's really cool. Yeah, it's like a perfect explanation, too. Yeah. Especially for someone like me who never read that final book, or Jeremiah who didn't read the final book, you know? Yeah, it's like entertaining, like, without feeling like too much, like, exposition and stuff, but it's still, like, it's cool to look at. I like that part. Any other thoughts on this one, Connor? Um, I mean, you know me from previous episodes, like I usually like a slow burn movie, but it almost feels like the middle, like the second act of this is too slow. You know, like when they're moving from place to place in the woods, like just walking, you know, all, all of them getting angry because of the Horcrux around the neck. Like, you think that's drug out a little too much? Yeah, maybe a little too long. Yeah, it's almost almost similar to like in Lord of the Rings when like everything with Frodo and Sam and Gollum traveling and like the ring is like weighing on Frodo. It's kind of like that, and it's like he's just kind of latching out. I think you can only see like so much of that. Um, yeah, I still think Lord of the Rings did it better though. Yeah, I would agree with that. Jeremiah, you got anything else on this one before we get into that final? Yeah, I was gonna say I do like um. There are certain parts of the film where, like, like you're seeing them, like, 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 like when they're in the woods, like you see them, kind of like, how, how do I explain this? Um, well, like I said before, they're they're outside of the world of Hogwarts, they're outside of the, the Wizarding World, so you're kind of seeing them like on their own, um, and you kind of like get to see them like, 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 like you see like life slow down for them a little bit, like you get to see them like be a bit more. Um, like intimate with 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 each other and be more vulnerable with each other because they are isolated, they are alone, they're kind of like on the run together. So like you get these like little like these little like human moments that you that you couldn't really get 
in the world of Hogwarts or the world of like um like the wizards and stuff like that, like where you get to see them just like be human, just be like uh, a trio, even though they do kind of like have like moments of feud, especially with like like Ron and Harry. Um, there's like a lot. There's like the, the moment where um where I forget exactly like why um Ron gets mad at Harry or like why they feud. Do you guys remember why exactly they got mad at each other? Ron is like, I think it's because he's carrying the Horcrux. Yeah, the Horcrux. Yeah, he's like thinking that uh harry and hermione like have something going on he's like getting all weird and jealous yeah um yeah and then at the end like when they destroy the horcrux he sees like that like image of like harry and hermione together and then they destroy it and he's like does that work guys at all uh because i i feel like it's like i mean because they've been a trio for so long i mean do, do you do you feel like this this like new aspect of like of like like false visions and jealousy like works for Ron's character and like like just the whole development of that group. Do you feel like it works? Kind of. Yeah. It kind of feels like it was forcibly wrote in there just so he can come back and destroy the Horcrux with the sword of Gryffindor. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I feel like if in this situation, like the three of them have been hanging out for all this time and like there's nothing between harry and hermione so like yeah. the fact that he all of a sudden would just be like huh like i don't know about this like it it, 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 it feels out of place to me a little bit it feels like a little bit like out of like out of nowhere honestly yeah, yeah especially when you know harry's dating your sister yeah because like it's pretty official by this one yeah yeah that's true yeah, and also like i, I feel like they, there maybe could have been like more interesting directions to take it like it could have been just a more general jealousy of like Ron is just like Ron's always a secondary character. He's kind of like Harry's biggest hype man, and like he has to deal with a lot of BS and like doesn't get any of the glory. And like, and Harry's just like literally the biggest celebrity in this world. So I feel like you kind of could have molded that into some more believable jealousy or feelings of like anger, or whatever. But um, they definitely went like the easier emotional route i guess yeah yeah and also just like i mean like jeremiah was kind of talking about this being out of hogwarts like it's a very different feel um just in yeah. the real world like and not having hogwarts like does kind of suck but it is interesting to get different perspectives yeah yeah and i kind of like the real world aspect like jeremiah said yeah i mean I they're, they're adults like, now like i mean yeah, and like seeing all of London, you know, like the cappuccino girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Also, though, back to like how Ron's kind of dark, like even in the beginning of this, before the Horcrux, he like kind of takes a dark turn. Like when they, you know, get attacked in the coffee shop and Ron's like, let's just kill him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they're like, what if we just obliviate him? <laughs> yeah, it does show you that it's all just more like real and like they're just being hunted. Like it's, it's very like, Intense. Yeah. All right, on to the final. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your thoughts here, Connor? Is this the first time we see a funeral in Harry Potter? I want to say yes. I think it is. Like for Dobby in the beginning? Is there no funeral for... Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that was very impactful too. Like, not only did we have to suffer Dobby dying 
and then a year later we'd come right back to it and sit there through a funeral too. I understand why you say it's the most heartbreaking. Yeah, so like, but, as we talked about, I feel like the movie doesn't really like, linger on death a lot. It's kind of just like part of their world. Um, but yeah, it definitely does here. Well, this one, yeah, this one does for sure. And I, I love this movie. I think this is the second best in the entire franchise. Uh, what about it? Like, what's typically? I think the again, I'm big on pacing, so I think the pacing is great. Um, I think, like, you know, the weight of Harry understanding that he's going to have to die in order for this to be over is, like, huge. Uh, one thing I do not, or, like, I don't like about it now that I've seen it is there's a deleted scene or, like, a reshot scene at the end when they're, like, facing Voldemort on Hogwarts grounds where, like, Draco runs out and actually tries to, like, save Potter. Yeah, he throws him a wand. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they would have kept that in. Have you ever seen that deleted scene, Jeremiah? I haven't seen it. Dude, it's so impactful. I'll send the link your way after this. For sure, for sure. Um, But just everything else, you know, coming together, like, finally killing all the Horcruxes, seeing Neville's, like, full character arc where he kills Nagini. Mm-hmm. Is it and it's this one too where Snape dies and like you actually see his character kind of be redeemed for everything he's done. Yeah. How do you feel like this uh like wraps up the series, Jeremiah? Um I mean, I I love this film so much because it's kind of similar to um like Order of the Phoenix, like seeing everyone come together for a common cause. Um I I just love seeing everyone come together like i was speaking of, about, about neville in the fifth film like how we were starting to see him as a more important character and how in this film it kind of comes full circle we see him kill the four crooks and just like i i just love seeing like everyone come together to, to defeat a common enemy for a common cause um and just seeing like the, the the climax of everything and just like i love how kinetic this film is it's like constantly moving like like you were saying the pacing and the editing it works really well it's paced really well there's a lot of great character moments and character development. It, it all works really well. Like, even though I don't think it's the necessarily like like the best film, like with like um like 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 in, in terms of like um like a, a, a complete story, I do feel like it does complete the franchise in a very just way. So yeah, one thing I do like about this is I like how a lot of the early um, in the early books, there's a lot that happens at Gringotts, and I feel like that was a fun place to like get introduced to and like. That's kind of this huge hub in the Wizarding World, and like going back to Gringotts for like the whole heist with the dragon and all like that. That was really cool to me, um, and kind of seeing that like pay off as like I just thought that was fun. It's a really fun scene. Um, and then I mean, I, like I said, I love Snape. So like all the emotional stuff with like understanding everything that he kind of went through and like all the sacrifices he made, and just kind of getting this like renewed vision of who he was, what he was about, um, and just, like, how dedicated he actually was to Harry, uh, and to their cause. Like, I think that was just such a beautiful you know, sequence with all his memories and, like, finding out that he loved Lily and, like, all that. So, I love that bit. This is probably the most emotional movie in the entire series, in my eyes, honestly. Yeah, there's a lot of of payoff. Emotional payoff. Well, especially with all the characters we lose, like Lupin, I forget, is it Fred or George? 
Um, I think it's from George. Also, Tonks. Tonks. Uh, a few others, too. But Snape, obviously. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I, I like. I like when any story isn't afraid to kill off characters. I think a lot of stories in recent times struggle with that and they struggle with like being willing to actually do that or like they're bringing characters back and like they don't actually like go through with things. But I feel like it gives a lot of weight to include death because death is part of the world. And like when you have a story that there's no stakes, there's no like everyone's fine and that's how it ends like it just doesn't hit as hard um so i like that they're willing to go there with i mean i guess rowling was willing to go there with the story yeah for sure i also read some other like theory or like i don't know if it's a fact but i really don't like that i read it but supposedly how he snaps the elder wand at the end throws it off the bridge supposedly it lands in this like river that like fixes broken objects and so there's this theory that like the wand has been fixed and it's still out there <laughs> i was like all right guys we're really stretching the truth here like ultra convenient ultra yeah <laughs> that's a convenient river for sure yeah crazy how it was never used prior to this i do like that moment because it shows like like that's who harry is to a t um and i think like the best heroes and leaders and all that like throughout story like the history of storytelling like are generally the um the ones that don't want it like the ones that aren't out to be the most powerful or the strongest or lead or anything they're just trying to like do the right thing and his willingness to give that up um i think shows a lot about him so i like that yeah no i completely agree now and then like we see like he's sending their kids off to hogwarts again I think it would have been cool to see maybe like along with sending their kids off or is like maybe like Harry is back as like, you know, defense against the dark arts teacher or something like that. Did you like the whole epilogue aspect, Jeremiah? Like the, like, do you think that was necessary or do you like how they did it? Um, I do. Um, it personally worked for me personally. I mean, I feel like when, when I first watched it, um, it, it worked for me, and it, and it still does work for me now. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I think it's fine. I think I, I could have done without, but I'm not mad about it. Um, I think it was okay. Uh, I don't know. I think, kind of like I mentioned before, the whole Ginny relationship, I feel like, wasn't as fleshed out as it could have been. Her character wasn't that well-developed, so it kind of just... I feel like I wasn't that invested in their relationship, so seeing them with kids and all was just kind of like, all right. But um, yeah, it was fine. I feel like um, like it's it does a it it gives a service of of allowing you to imagine a future of the series without actually like like creating more films. Like it just, it just like sets up um, like it it sets up like uh a frame of, of of imagination for viewers to think of like oh okay like these characters are together these characters have kids these characters are doing this and that and that but not necessarily making films for the future but allowing the viewers to imagine what the future of of the world in the series is if that makes any sense so i i, I, I don't think it's necessary but it is a nice um kind of like fan service for people who want it 
So like it works. It, it works for some people. Doesn't work for for others. But I feel like it's it, it's fine for me. I I could do without it, but it works for the most part. Gotcha. All in all, Connor is the so is the um, Deathly Hollows Part One your overall favorite? No. I'm sorry. Which one did you say? My favorite's Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Jeremiah, what's your overall favorite? My favorite's probably it's between it's between Order of the Phoenix and Prisoner of Azkaban for me personally. Okay. And Dan, I think Order of Phoenix, honestly, because I, I love the balance between everything at the school and the overarching storyline, and like it has that seriousness, but also like the fun magical aspect. Um, great collaboration with all the characters, and kind of like a little bit of fleshing out of some of the side characters that were really had bigger roles in the books and I think didn't get quite the right attention throughout every movie, but this movie kind of lets them all shine. Um, and I think it's just a great balance of everything that is good about the series. Now, do you guys think that this movie being a two part ending had any impact on the hunger games, having a two part ending for Mockingjay? I mean, I feel like that was like that was like the vibe at the time, you know. Um, there was, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure exactly when like the the Twilight films, um, like the Breaking Dawn Part One and Part Two came out, but I know it was like a, it was like around the time of Deathly Hollows Part One and Part Two. Then there was like, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One and Part Two. Like was, like around that time, there was a whole bunch of Part Ones, Part Twos, even for books that didn't necessarily need a Part One and Part Two. Like I feel like they were kind of because I feel like Mockingjay. Like didn't necessarily need a part one and part two. That's um, kind of what I was getting at too. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it was like it was kind of like the vibe around that time, and like I guess from a business standpoint, like more profitable, make two films for the price of one book. Yeah, more. Yeah, and they also did it with um, what you call it. I mean, obviously they did it with like Infinity War and Endgame, which was necessary, but uh. There's one other thing. I mean, we're getting it now with like um, Cross the Spider Verse, yeah, and we're also getting it with um, Mission Impossible, like Dead and, Reckoning being split up, and Fast and, and Furious, Dune as well. Yeah, and 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 the Hobbit movies. I mean, like that's not a conversation. And those, those movies are not good, um, in my opinion. But like, I think, like you said, Jeremiah, like from a business standpoint, it's just getting that cliffhanger and like guaranteeing your audience is going to come back. Mm. It's just, I think it's a no brainer for them. Yeah. Cause nobody wants does not work. Story. Yeah. And yeah, no, nobody wants to sit with the uncomplete stories. They're good. They're going to come back to, to watch the second part of the story that they just started. So it's no yeah. brainer. Yeah, I guess. And in, in, in the eyes of a business standpoint. Yeah. But I think the danger is sometimes you end up stretching stories that don't quite need to be stretched and it just exactly. feels uh awkward yeah for sure all right we ready to give our orders <laughs> yeah i'll i'll start out by saying too i think this is the best movie franchise not like i think there is like star wars that are better i think lord of the rings are better but i think this is the only franchise ever that could have this many movies consistently be good yeah in terms of overall like balance of quantity and quality like just the sheer number of movies 
and there's there isn't like a miss in the in the series. So I think that's a fair take. Yeah. So in my last is the Half Blood Prince. Okay. Uh, and then number seven for me is Chamber of Secrets. Six is Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, Deathly Hollows Part One. Then we have Order of the Phoenix, Goblet of Fire, Deathly Hollows Part Two, and Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. And below all of that is all the Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> we got yeah, some very differences on ours, on, on, on mine at least. What's it look like, Jeremiah? All right. So at number eight in last place, I got Chamber of Secrets. At number seven, I have Half Blood Prince. At number six, I have Deadly Hollows Part One. At number five, I have Deadly Hollows Part Two. At number wow. four, I have the um, Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone. Um, yeah. Then number three, I've Goblet of Fire. Number two and number one are really hard to, to pick between because I love both of them like pretty much equally. But today, I think I have to go with Order of the Phoenix at two and then Prisoner of Azkaban at one. Solid. Um, so it's it's tough. Like these for me, I feel like flip around a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think in Dead Last, I have Chamber of Secrets. Second to last, uh, I have the Sorcerer's Stone. Next, probably Deathly Hollows Part Two. Uh, then Deathly Hollows Part One. Wow. Uh, Goblet of Fire. Prison. Uh, that Half Blood Prince. Goblet of Fire. Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. But it's this is like this ranking is so hard for me. Like honestly, like I feel like you could ask me for a week straight and I might give you a different one every day. It's just like yeah. they're all there's a lot of them that are pretty close. I was like back and forth if I wanted Chamber in my last spot or not. It's like weird because like Chamber of Secrets is probably probably the film that I have like the most like childhood memories associated with, but like it's probably the weakest film out of like all of them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Because um, I feel like I have a lot of vivid memories of it, too. But, like, it's just... It's so long. and just, yeah, Probably because it's so long. Is why I have so many why is, it, why is it that long? But... Um, and, I mean, you can tell, like, it was a learning process for them making these movies, too. Like, you know, and they... You can see it kind of improve as it goes to an extent um, and change. So they were kind of working out the kinks. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeremiah, thanks for coming on. Let people know uh, where they can find you. You know, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. First of all, this, this is like the first like podcast I've ever done. It's like really cool talking to you guys, especially like like meeting through TikTok and just like seeing like the progression of like all of our like accounts like grow and just like just build up and stuff is really, really awesome. Like you guys can find me on TikTok, Jeremiah.battle, um, letterbox, Jeremiah425, um, Instagram, um, you can follow me, VisionaryXJ. And yeah, it's pretty much where I'm at. Hi, yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming, Jeremiah. This was a good time. Of course, of course I'll look to be on it again. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. All right, everyone. Well.
Let's go watch some football. Yep. Take care, guys. All right. Hey, you too.